most people speak in uh, with three different rhythms in a sentence. So if I'm not thinking about it, I have certain parts that are going to be faster and other parts where maybe I'm thinking about they'll be slower and then something in the middle. That's what keeps our attention with that melody, that melodic change that's happening there. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangle. Let's delve a little deeper. Here's the first part of my conversation with Elaine Clark. My next guest is the author of two best-selling books, There's Money Where Your Mouth Is and Voiceovers for Podcasting, the creator of two voice and diction apps, Activate Your Voice and Adding Melody to Your Voice, and the host and creator of the speech communication podcast, Real Talking Tips. She's an actor, director, and producer in a wide range of entertainment and business genres, from video games to business events. Over the past 40 years, she's coached C-suite executives, newscasters, television hosts, podcasters, multimedia journalists, presenters, sports reporters, salespeople, and narrators. She specializes in developing a tune of speaking through word focus, movement, dynamics, tempo variations, storytelling, and musicality. Her name is Elaine Clark, and I'm really looking forward to getting her perspective on how to be a better speaker. It's not just for people on stages, but people who have to make presentations in a corporation, podcast hosts, and people who just want others to pay more attention when they're trying to get a point across. If you want to learn how to make a deeper impact with your voice, this is the podcast episode for you. As always, if you have questions for my guest, you're welcome to reach out through the links in the show notes. If you have questions for me, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com, where you'll find a lot of ways to get in touch. Plus, subscribing to the newsletter will let you know when the new podcasts are available. And if you're getting some value from listening, feel free to spread that around and share it with a friend, along with leaving an honest review. Both those things really help, and I'd love to feature your review on future podcasts. You can leave one either in written or in voice format from the podcast's main page. I would so appreciate that. And now, here's my conversation with Elaine Clark. Thank you so much for joining me today, Elaine. I really appreciate your being here. <laughs> I'm so excited to be with you today. Thanks. Uh, I like to start off these interviews discussions with a question about how an early memory of sound might have moved you. Do you have anything like that? I mean, it could be the human voice, too, because I know that you're talking a lot about that. Well, there's so many, but I'll start with one and then I'll go to a second one. The first sure. one is that my mother's from Georgia and my father's from California. And so the difference of those two sounds is really quite interesting. And so when I would go to Georgia with my with my parents and then we go to a restaurant, I would hear she has more of the gone with the wind and it's very flowing and and melodic. And my dad's voice has no is is neutral, doesn't have an accent. And then there would be someone at another table with which had the uh, Jimmy Carter accent, which was more of the peanut farmer that was very staccato. So I thought, oh, there's the flowing and then there's the staccato. So that was also that brought to mind the musicality of words. And the and the other time is I was living in Germany because my father was in the military. And uh, we had uh, the piano teacher that would come to our house and just 
hearing, you know, just playing with the music of that and and how the German speech was in there and how we learned it with a lot of the guttural sounds that especially Americans don't really have. It's very hard for us is, is a different thing. And then just listening. We didn't have television then and just listening to radio and to records of like The Wizard of Oz or something and just getting into that world and that imagination. That's what I like about sound. I love it. Yeah. And definitely that has to do with different types of voices and the way that they sound to you as well. So, I mean, maybe you're a little more uh, um, happy with voices that have certain accents. Maybe that makes you feel more comfortable. Well, that's an interesting thing. I'm always listening and I always enjoy it. I mean, listen to you. You have this gorgeous voice that's, you know, <laughs> people would die to have. And so it's mine started out higher pitched as most women <laughs> do. First of all, they're like way in the stratosphere and then it starts dropping down the older we get, fortunately. And then, uh, but there was a time when I was living in Louisiana and I was getting my theater degree and I moved to California and everyone made fun of me because of this Louisiana accent that I had. And so I was determined to get rid of it, but I went through British on the way. So oh, it was really okay. funny because it's just, it was just a sad How did that sound? <laughs> well, people didn't know I, where I was from. People in Louisiana thought I was from New York. People in California mm-hmm. thought I was somewhere between, you know, New York and England, you know, I guess, I don't know, maybe that's the transatlantic sound. But I, until I could sort of find a neutral, which, you know, coincidentally, I was born in California, but I didn't live here very long until after I, mm-hmm. you know, finished college. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's quite a journey to come to in your, in your own personal accent, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I think but, part of it is how yeah. the shape of the mouth is. So as our mouth totally. is formed, the more accents that we have access to, the more likely we can do the various accents. So if someone is uh, born and raised in a certain area and not exposed to the various sounds, it's very hard for them to change. So while I mm-hmm. was able to become, I still have a little bit of a Louisiana accent, but it's pretty minor, that they would, uh, that it would just sort of you can get rid of it if you've been in other areas, been been exposed before like fourth grade. But after that, it gets harder and harder and harder to get rid of it. So that's why someone could live in a certain area for 30 or 40 years and still have that same accent that they had as their youth. That's that interesting? interesting. I always wondered about that. Yeah. Uh, because I, I know people who've transplanted. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I never thought of it that way, that it was the shape of the mouth. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what our tongue and so, our teeth are used to doing. So uh, very <laughs> when we true. speak. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good that you qualified that. <laughs> yeah. I figured I might have to. <laughs> So when did you start getting interested in sound and I guess in in particular in speech? When did that start becoming a thing for you? Well, besides the accents. Right. So when I moved to California and that process of changing out of that southern accent or Louisiana accent and then other people started asking me how to do that. And then I would get newscasters and, and uh, corporate execs and other people start asking me how to do that. But I found things on my own through trial and error. And that was mm-hmm. it. So there, weren't, there were some things, but of course, we didn't have the Internet to go and search that up 
you know, in 1979 or 80. So you just had to kind of <laughs> figure out a way to do this on your own. So that's where most of my stuff is very organic. And I found ways to really let the voice be the instrument because I knew it intellectually that that was true, but I didn't think about how that was part of the whole body. And so, so that's your background in communication? Yeah, and, yeah. But speech communication and it's theater speech communication. And I also got a teaching credential. But I learned a lot about speech and how speech is about um, how many musical instruments we use when we talk. So if, let's talk about the articulators, for instance. Those mm-hmm. are the, uh, it's like, you can hear the drum section right there. So when people leave off their articulators, that means that they're probably changing the tune and the rhythm of what they're saying. And that's why it's the tune that gets us messed up. Like uh, Americans speak in in 4-4 uh, four, four time. We go 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4. And French is boom, 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 3, 4 time. And then you get get Spanish that has so many syllables. So it's like 15 sixteenths. And that's where people have difficulty hearing the different tune and the different rhythm because it's not what their brain can process. And that's part of why people should learn different languages early on so that you can process that. And that's why when you get older and you start to learn a language, you're going, this is so hard. You know, but when you're younger, you know, it's super easy. So uh, you just sort of just start mm-hmm. picking it up. I know that when kindergarten, first grade, we started learning German because we knew that we we're going to move to Germany. So I learned that. But unfortunately, my German kind of quit at uh, third grade because that's oh, when we moved, okay. <laughs> moved back to the States. So people say, but Can I you guess speak you German? still know it the musicality of it. It would be from my youthful perspective. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a so lot the musicality yeah. still makes sense to you. Yeah. yeah. It's well, they yeah they it's it's uh, appreciating the different musicalities and hearing that mm-hmm. and that's why the different types of music people are geared towards one type of music versus another type and other people like a whole bunch of different types of genre genres because that's how they can accept it and take in that information based on their background. And you're talking about adding melody to your voice as yes. well, so that that comes into play here as well. Right. So. A lot of people I work with have a monotone voice so that it doesn't have a lot of movement. Now, that can be helpful at certain times and then can be very difficult for people to glean the important context and important words and key phrases out of that. So the musicality is a way of slowing down on the positives and speeding up on the negatives. That's just one thing. Now, if a negative is what you're really pushing, you're like, we should all hate this person. It should be, we should all hate this person and then and get rid of this other person who's nice. So that would be the opposite based on perspective rather than going, we should all love and embrace this person and not pay attention to this other person who's terrible. So, but that's where we naturally just, it's called throwing it away. You probably heard just people say, just throw that away. Don't put a lot of emphasis on it. And that's usually because it's not that, we don't want the focus to go there and the slowness is usually of, of certain words or what draws in. But if everything is slow, then we're bored with that. So anything that repeats is a problem. And most people speak in uh, with three different rhythms in a sentence. So if I'm not 
thinking about it. I have certain parts that are going to be faster and other parts where maybe I'm thinking about they'll be slower and then something in the middle. That's what keeps our attention with that melody, that melodic change that's happening there. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it, it goes on from there. I don't know how in detail you want me to go. I know that we're all dealing with a lot of stuff these days, so I particularly wanted to acknowledge those that have taken the time to leave honest reviews of this podcast, like Elaine Grant, who called the show insightful, practical, eye-opening. As a veteran public radio producer and host, she says, and now an entrepreneur running a podcast consultancy, I thought I knew about the world of audio. Truth is, I knew just a small slice of this big and important world. I've learned so much from every episode. I need to re-listen and furiously take notes. I can't recommend audio branding highly enough. Thank you for taking the time to leave your comment, Elaine. It means so much to me. And now, back to the show. I wanted to ask you specifically about storytelling, because I know that that's how you say that people can become better communicators and knowing a story, having a story in mind and all of that. So what is your background in storytelling? Now I'm curious. (laughs) Oh, well, I think I've always been a storyteller. So in fact, every time I work with a group, I go, oh, let me just tell you a story first, Mm -hmm. because this relates to that. We relate to stories because they're personal. If someone just tells a story because they want to tell a story and it has no context in the conversation, it doesn't work. But sometimes Mm -hmm. a story gives the answers rather than giving words that are very logical. So that's where the storytelling comes in and it's, it's imagination. And a lot of that comes from doing radio. And it's theater of the mind. It just like podcasting, it's like, are you there with me? I have to imagine that there are people out there. And so mm-hmm. it creates this moment and that my, the way I work with people is like you, you see it first, you feel it, and then you speak. But if you don't see it, if I just sort of bopped in and said, okay, I'm going to go start talking, I would be all discombobulated, you know, throughout, <laughs> you know, maybe for the next five or 10 minutes as I was trying mm-hmm. to settle into the to the scene and what you have to ask me and, and what perspective we're coming from. Let me tell you something else about storytelling. Storytelling sure. is a way of establishing authority. Mm-hmm. When we know where everything is located when we know how we feel about the various people that we're retelling the story about, people get into that story. So when, uh, let's say that we're in business uh, and we're working for a corporation and we're just going, okay, I have to talk about this product. I'm not really emotionally attached to the product. I'm logically attached to that product. How can I tell someone about that logical product in a way that doesn't feel too touchy-feely, warm and fuzzy? Uh, in order to to make it come alive and have it work on, you know, connecting with someone. It's always what something gives someone. So if you have, if you have a product that helps with, um, I'll just say with asthma, with better breathing, it's mm-hmm. not so much about that product, it's about the way of life someone can have. So then you talk you know, you're, it's about the freedom or the, or the relief or the joy that someone can have from that rather than the logical product. And a lot of people in business, when I'm coaching them, they just hear the logic. Or uh, I was working with one at a company, and it was, he was the CFO, and he just wanted to give dollars and cents 
to to the uh, in his quarterly report. And I said, but you're not telling me when you say that you made, you know, that you your profit was a hundred million dollars. I don't know whether you were expecting five hundred million and it's bad, or whether you were expecting twenty five million and it's a lot better. So you have to share with us. That's part of the the seeing it. What can you do with it? How will that help someone? And that's all part of the storytelling. So we have the logical mm-hmm. information, and then we have the you know creative emotional side to it. Yeah, that's a really interesting point in that it, it's our experience that relates how we relate the story. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's an interesting idea to teach people that are maybe um, not so comfortable being public speakers. And I'm curious if you've had anyone who was really uncomfortable doing speeches, how you got them to overcome that. I've had many, many people that I've worked with. I'm sure you and have. They're either, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me just pick pick one. Um, well, part of it is how our job as as communicators is to make someone feel and take action. It's mm-hmm. I, it's the job of the speaker to understand what they should feel and why. So a lot of times they've got the content of the words, and they're just selling the you know or speaking about the the intellectual stuff, but it hasn't changed over to that creative side. I mean, this is where advertising has it figured out. They don't put broccoli at the front counter when you're checking out. They put a candy, candy bars and gum and other stuff that are emotional of buys. they we, do. We could <laughs> yeah. live our whole lives without them, but we probably need some leafy greens at some point to help mm-hmm. us. So, so we know logically that we could have that, but the other has been sold as a reward. Yeah, you, know, you deserve it. Yeah, it's energy. So we don't buy that product for the the logical reason. We have that other thing spinning inside us that tells us the reason why. So what I do when I work with someone is I say, what do the what do you want? What is the action? What is the result that you want of someone when you're speaking to them? Because they can read the logical words in a pamphlet on online. We can do that. That's not going to give them that added part that you can only get through the voice or through seeing someone. You know, it's the it's that message that goes beyond the printed word. So, uh, and it's really hard to figure that out. And that's why I boil it down into one word. And I created a, a system years ago, 20, 25 years ago, called Making It Mine. So it's about the motivation is the moment before. So the motivation is always about you know, why am I doing this? Why am I presenting this information to someone? It's always to solve a problem. Otherwise, I wouldn't need to speak. I mean, after True. I've had dinner, I don't say what's for dinner. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah. or I've already eaten. <laughs> I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. So yeah. you're resolving one problem after the other. So the intentions are actions. It's about knowing where, going back to the storytelling, I know if I if I gesture to the right, maybe that's the person I'm talking to. If I gesture behind me, that's the location of the business. And then the need is what is like a boomerang. So it goes out, you receive, I need need change from you. And I, if you change, then I have my need met. And so we know this just was asking someone to, you know, let's go to this restaurant. And they go, no, I don't want to go to that restaurant. We go, but I really would like to go to this restaurant. You know, and if they change, then we're happy, right? But if mm-hmm. we lose that bet, then we're like, mm, okay, we're going to the same place. We go all the time. Oh, well, <laughs> that's it. And then E is for emotion. 
So, and that then goes into rhetoric. And the basic part of that is ethos, logos, and pathos. So you have your authority, and that's the reason why you're speaking. And you have to have not only just logic, but emotion too, and know where everything is located as part of your storytelling, and um, and then know what what is logical and what is emotional. And a lot of times, it is a lot of logical, logical, logical information, and then a little bit about how you feel. So here's, mm-hmm. here's you have this thing we're going to talk about, this product we're going to talk about, this product. Isn't that great? Because we're going to do this, that, and that with that product. Let's see how this works. Yeah. So that just like it could be just those little little bitty lines, those little bitty things that just create the full, you know, uh, rhetorical triangle. So. Yeah. And when you were saying that, it's reminding me of like every corporate narration I've gotten in the last <laughs> long, yes. long time. Yeah. And we're usually talking so, about something yeah. we don't know that much about or don't care that much about. And we have to figure out why. And that sure. becomes... Our, yeah. our challenge. So there's the logical information and then the, but this is great because, you yeah. know, we're helping people. We're doing this, you know. And mm-hmm. just, yeah. So the, the added uh, emotions, I guess. Yeah. Right. And then you said, you know, if people are nervous, you know, I, I, I work if it's in a big group and they're going to be on stage and presenting something, how to take in the room in different pieces, but also with every step that someone takes to the podium, how they can get more and more confident in what they're saying. Because the problem is not about us. It's really, we're saying, I have the solution. It's for you. So it's projecting it to someone else to change rather than us going, oh, no, this is it. Now, there are certain bad situations that you have to take care of. And, that, and that's, that's where when I'm working with newscasters, I have to go, how can you, how can you go from that death and destruction story to, to a dog is united with his owner? <laughs> so, you know, you can't have the same difference. emotions with those and no. you can't look like you're, you know, let, that it's callous or or too, you know, frivolent. You know, how mm-hmm. can you do that? So finding that that fine line that we go through. I always wondered how broadcasters did that because it is a skill. That is definitely something that uh, they probably have to learn over a, a long time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So every once in a while, I work, I work with newsca- newscasters, multimedia journalists. They're a different thing because they then they work out in the field and you have to mm-hmm. take in the environment and then let us know how we feel about the environment, whether it's a good thing because the, the salmon are jumping and, and everything is good, or is it that the fish are dead on the side of the of the river? And so they're two different stories. And so that's why they, you know, how do you make connection? With, with someone either through the camera or your voice, and then you, you tell the story, the logical stuff. And you have to still stay in that semi-neutral area, you know, but mm-hmm. still have that, you know, that information out there. So is there a particular, like, case study that you can talk about that you helped someone overcome their fear of public speaking? Yeah, I'm not going to name names, but oh, I no, please have. Don't. I, <laughs> I don't want to put anyone on the spot. <laughs> no, it was it was a vice pres- president of a very major company, mm-hmm. and uh, he was doing a speech in front of a former president. This is a few presidents ago, and, but the company uh, contacted me because he was a stutterer. He was so smart that the information came in at such a fast pace that he kind of got jammed up. So now I'm talking to someone whose IQ level is off the charts. You know, I'm just the person walking in going, hey, I'm going to help you sound better. Uh, and 
then working with that person to teach them how to how you would like put your hand down on on a piece of furniture you know maybe it's the podium or whatever just to to gain um confidence just to sort of settle down all the nerves and mm-hmm. then working on everything in slow motion so that the mouth can catch up with the brain that's going at like high powered speed but if you try to speak at that speed how do you do that and then choosing which topics as you're slowing down that you can filter out so that mm-hmm. that message is there so it's just it was about how how we would uh, stand before he would go out uh, some exercises that he would do prior to walking on stage and how, what he would think and do as he was getting to his position and how he took in the audience at the same time so that's a good that, point and then yeah. feeding off of their energy that mm-hmm. was that's kind of cool so yeah. I, I'll tell you another yeah. little story. Uh, this past summer, I was working with uh, a new um, uh, stadium announcer for what for a for a, a baseball team, and this was a really unique situation because uh, because we had to come up with ways to say each of the players' names that were interesting, you know, and exciting, uh, and also. Um, once we got things all set up in the at, in the booth and with a bunch of rehearsals, and then I went out into the stadium and realized that the sound bounce was awful. You know, like certain parts of the stadium, it would it would slap back multiple times. Other places, it went flat. Then you put put people in the seats, and then it changes the sound. So we had to re redo some of the ways that we that that this uh, sportscaster would say the say the names and do the the broadcast in order for the stadium to like it and also the radio station to like it at the same time which oh, and that was that was a huge hurdle you don't think mm-hmm. about it that much but that's where you have to then take in all the auditory possibilities and make adjustments based on the structure of a building and and the audience. Yeah, the acoustics are super audience. important. Yeah, one's a yeah. large audience. In the radio, it's like an intimate moment. How do you make that both work? That's sure. a difficult thing. Very much so, yeah. I, I've talked with a few people on this podcast who deal with large auditorium music mm-hmm. and the difference in how you have to uh, record that and broadcast that how you use the acoustics of the room in order to make sure everyone gets a good experience and yeah it's quite something it's uh mathematically it's <laughs> yes and, it, and it's what a i lot. say as a speech communicator i just say math is hard and that we're going to work <laughs> yes. on it i don't go into the, yeah. the specifics of that but some people know how to then diagram that and do all the the physics and math on it but that is not my forte yeah yeah <laughs> It's it's quite something. I I've, mm-hmm. I admire anyone who can do that kind of thing. The the people who do the uh, audio engineering for large performances in huge auditoriums, that is an insane amount of talent. Like <laughs> you gotta yes. really know your stuff because right. a lot of people are depending on you. And, and you, you can tell in up. the audience when someone doesn't know how to do it properly, because that's when you're like, oh, it's hurting yes. my ears. This is not working. I want to get out of here. And someone else, yes. you can sit in front of the speakers and go, this is a fabulous experience. What the heck is going mm-hmm. on? And someone who knows how to tweak it. And that's that's really an art. That's an art of sound. And Very people much. 
you know, and that only like really, really, I don't I'm speaking out, out of turn, I guess, because it's not my field of expertise, but it's, you know, but it, it requires not only your own ears, but just life experience and going, I, oh, I've been in this place before. I know what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. But an interesting problem that you had to surmount with this uh, new client of yours. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like a really interesting type it was of problem. Super fun. Uh, it was and, yeah. super fun, <laughs> too, because yeah. then we just, you know, going to the games and sitting up there for a while, you know, and just listening to it, giving comments, and that's mm-hmm. a whole other story uh, about that. Yeah. That was really fun. Very, very cool. Do you want to sound your absolute best when you're being interviewed on a podcast or when you're hosting your own show? I have a podcast episode and free downloadable worksheet called Sounding Your Best as a Podcast Guest off of the audiobrandingpodcast.com main page. Just click on the little square graphic to the left of the player displaying my podcast trailer. It gives you some comprehensive suggestions for where to start or for improving the sound you already have, including the type of microphones to consider and why, ideas for soundproofing your recording environment, and suggestions on how to get the best sound when you're being remotely recorded on services like Riverside FM or Squadcast. Don't let bad audio quality hold you back from being the best podcast guest or host you can be. And of course, if you happen to need voiceover for your intro and outro, feel free to get in touch. I'm happy to help. And now, back to the podcast. So I'm going to I'm going to switch gears a little bit here cuz I want to ask you about podcasting because okay. I know that you've done that now and yes. and that you enjoy doing that. So what made you decide to use the medium of podcasting to get across your ideas about communication? Well, I kind of went about it um, backwards. And so uh, I already had uh, a book. There's no there's wrong money... way. Uh, no, but there's, I already had a book, There's Money Where Your Mouth Is, and there were four editions mm-hmm. of it. And so my, uh, at, at, so my uh, publisher then said, will you, uh, we had a meeting and we want you to write a book called Voiceovers for Podcasting. And so I said, okay, well, I haven't done a podcast yet, but I'll do a research. So I did like 100 hours of research on podcasting. This was like 2018. And then the book came out in 2019. And I took the information from my time in advertising, working for a small advertising agency, and in radio and radio and TV sales and media buying and about vertical and horizontal formatting. And then I, then I said, well, when I'm getting into it, I want to know what's easy. So I mapped out based on what I would guess, you know, if, if it's a single person or if it's multiple people, you know, what are the different issues? So, and then here's how to use your voice in it so it has that component as well so that someone who's getting into it makes really logical choices. So then I had that book out. I'm thinking, wow, this is great. Then the next question everyone asks is, where is your podcast? It's a valid question. It is a valid question. So what I decided is what people wanted me to do, I created an audio book of uh, voiceovers for podcasting because you can listen to that. I haven't created one. I probably won't for There's Money Where Your Mouth Is because it's so dense with information and you need to take notes and you need to practice yourself. It's not so much about listening to me. It's about doing it yourself. And Well, and so, if someone wants the audio book, they can take your they can coach with Take you. Take a course with me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Then I, so I took took uh, the books and then said, let me just go through all the stuff that I would do in a coaching session. And then mm-hmm. because of my educational background, I just I started out with the here's the problem. 
Here's how you can solve it from a communication standpoint. And now here's the part that you need to practice. So that they're just little five, three to seven minute little bits that I have on my website, inlineclarkvo.com, um, mm-hmm. or you can get it on any of the other places that you hear uh, podcasts. But what's nice about it is that it's if people really use it, um, that they can improve. So I, I thought, well, how many weeks in a year? I know that math. We'll do 52 episodes. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was, and so I, I but it, it's amazing. This is where I, I have such respect for podcasters because even though it's only, you know, uh, th- three and a half to seven minutes for each podcast, it would take me two days because I'd have to take, I would have to strip away a lot of information just to make it as, as clean and and succinct as possible, then shooting the video, then editing the video, then working on the audio. And I have little cartoons that are in there that I created, you know, and just like I, you know, so that, and then doing the blog that goes along with it, you're like, oh my goodness, podcasting is a business. And yeah. what, I, what I like about it is now when I coach someone, we'll go, I'll, I'll go, ah, that's episode 13. That's number 48. <laughs> this is this is what you need to, to work on. And what was really mm-hmm. interesting is when I, going back to the musicality, when I posted one episode on, on, on the social media sites about if you're a fast talker, how to slow down, the slow talkers started getting angry and say, where's mine? I said, that's next week. That's, I'm going to drop that next ah. week. You know, so then it was like, if you're a slow talker, <laughs> okay. how do you speed up? Because I realized that there was qu- quite a divide. We're all looking for that sweet spot in the middle. Mm-hmm. But they have people mm-hmm. on either side going. People are always telling me to come on, get a move on, speed it up. And other ones like, slow down. Hold on, Nelly. You know, and then we're trying to get to that sweet spot that people can take in the information in a, mm-hmm. you know, in a softer and a quieter and you know, a tempo-friendly way. So yeah. that's how I, I ended love that up you with have, it. Yeah, yeah. I love that you have a podcast. I think that's awesome that you learned all the ins and outs and then you went and did it yourself, which, yeah, why not? I like doing everything <laughs> myself because it's part mm-hmm. of the learning process. Um, doesn't mean I will do it always myself in the future, but when I go through, then I know what the problems are. And so, and then, mm-hmm. you know, now I, I coach a lot of lot of podcasters that are upping their game. They're like, I've already had this out there. Now I want to improve. You know, as they've- and So some how of them, can they? Yeah. Like, uh, what, what, what kinds of things do you help them improve? I, I'm assuming it's different from voiceover, though it might have some crossover. It's, it's this. It's the same. Every time I work with someone, I try to figure. You know, I ask them first, what What do you perceive as your issue? Mm-hmm. I may agree. I may disagree. Most of the time, I agree. And so then we're on the same team. And then I say, here, uh, let me hear you do some stuff, or I'll listen to it. And I listen for patterns. Is there a pattern that's working, or is it a pattern that could be improved? You know. And so then, I mean, I'm working with one right now. That's. Uh, he, he's he's very deadpan uh, and it, and his delivery and his material is kind of morose. Let's just say that. So it's not something you want to be happy about, but it is intriguing for people in the business. So um, what we worked on is how to do his intros and outros so that they were more dynamic and and it and he would put a little smile in that, and then when he got to the interview part, it's a whole other thing. And then, and I know that uh, Jordan Harbinger doesn't mind me saying his name, but I you know work with him, 
uh, he and Gabe on their on their Feedback Fridays and that uh, episodes. And it's just that's a delight. I mean, they're so good and they're so smart. And uh, and you know, I've known I've known Jordan, I don't know, over 10 years or so, I guess. Um, and it, it's just a matter of of defining these little tiny bits. I mean, at first it was coming up with the language. And now we have a shortcut just to say, oh, this is it. And of course, you know, Jordan being Jordan, you know, he'll come up with another uh, another way. Because one of the things that I would say is like uh, you want to um, you want to do a dip down. So that would be like I'm talking in one direction here and then I do another one in another direction right after that. So then so he would just put HD next to it. And that meant hunker down or hunky D. You know, or something like that, or drop it. That's you know, a cool way to pitch. put it. Sure. So, it, but he, you know, that's where everyone can take their own language of what I'm saying mm-hmm. and then make it theirs. And I have that's that's how you own the information. And so it's just a matter of I'm listening at it, going, "This is what I feel is missing. I wish this was here." Because because mm-hmm. a lot of times when people are into, it, especially they're working on their podcast or in, or a corporate speech or anything, that they get into it so much that they don't see they forget about the audience. So then I become the audience for the other person, and then say, "Ah." I can work on, I hear that you're missing this part, whether it's the storytelling, whether it's a melody, whether it's a tempo, whether it's a variety, whether it's using uh, the word emphasis chart, you know, about different ways of emphasizing words that you mm-hmm. just need a little pop on that word or you stretch that word out or put a little shimmer on that one so that then they go, ah, that's what makes it stand out. Because we have the same amount of time, basically, but how do we say it that it stands out and makes an impact? without it feeling pushed because mm-hmm. everything that we do should just be casual you just do this i mean we years ago we were all fooled into getting computers going it'll make your life easier what has it done given us more work yeah <laughs> yeah we told it was it was easy so we mm-hmm. we take it at, at its word same thing with refrigerators when they came in you could didn't have as much you went out and now you can put a ton of stuff in your refrigerator now are you going to cook it Yeah. Is that easier or not? That's. (laughs) I would say that's more stressful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, more waste and uh, more things to worry about, unfortunately. Yeah. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time.